Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. What, like it's hard? Hello, welcome to Eco Chic. Welcome back. If you're returning, it's so good to have you here today. I hope you are having a really great Tuesday or a really great day whenever you're listening to this. My name is Laura Diaz. And we are joined today by Jessica Defino. I am so excited for y'all to listen to this conversation because it was so easy and fun to record. I really enjoyed it, so I'm excited to share it with you. Jessica Defino is a beauty reporter covering supportive, sustainable skincare based in science and spirituality. She has made a serious name for herself as a beauty reporter, firstly specializing in clean beauty, which is a niche, and furthermore, as a beauty reporter that does not actively participate in beauty routines and products. Her work aims to break down the mystery of products and brands and beauty trends by discussing ingredient efficacy and skin science. She gives you the research to say whether or not something is really going to work, or if it's just nice packaging. Her work can be found in the New York Times, Vogue, Teen Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Allure, The Cut, Elle, Cosmopolitan, Glamour, the list goes on and on and on. Today, Jessica and I are talking about her career and finding this very specific standout voice in beauty reporting. It is such a fascinating path from music videos, the Kardashians, to getting to where she is. And then we get into her expertise of breaking down those myths that we have been hearing as beauty consumers. We talk about things like drink more water, use hyaluronic acid. We talk about product dependency, the sustainability side of beauty and single-use products, waste, supply chains. We talk about regulation and greenwashing, some of my favorite topics on the show. Jessica lets us in on her pretty minimalist skincare routine, and I'd like to say I am personally a big skincare person. I enjoy products, I enjoy trying new brands and experimenting with my routine, but I would also consider myself a pretty critical consumer. When you hear me recommend a brand, it's usually pretty specific. Instead of saying, I really like brand X, it's usually, I like this specific product from brand X because why? And I also think that conversations like today's with a skin expert like Jessica, someone in the industry that can really sift through the data and research behind all of these claims, really allows consumers like myself to say, yes or no, I support this or I don't support this. And it also helps us put some boundaries on this need to try everything. We only need one moisturizer, one eye cream, one whatever it is. We don't need shelves full of tiny bottles. Overall, today's conversation with Jessica is empowering, educational. It's a discussion about the science of skincare and whether or not you should be accepting what the beauty industry is telling you or selling you, I suppose. If you like this conversation, I have two other really wonderful, deeply educational episodes on skincare and the beauty industry that I will link in the show notes. Episode 96 with Lindsay Dahl, SVP of Social Mission at Beauty Counter, and that episode is called Regulating the Cosmetics Industry, Influencing Better Beauty Policy. And then if you'd like more on skincare routines, episode 99 with Dr. Mona Vand is called Food for Skin, Natural Health Tips, and Holistic Wellness. Both are really great. They cover similar adjacent topics as those discussed today. And like I said, I think you'll really enjoy today's episode. It's an eye-opening one. It's an empowering one as a consumer. 
And if you like this episode, if you like any of the episodes that I have just recommended, I highly encourage you to share this episode with a friend. Send it in your group chat, share it with your family, anyone you know who may be a skincare junkie and needs a little extra push to say no to the trendiest beauty products of the season. I encourage you to share this episode with them because like I said, it's a good one. And you can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That helps me out a lot. And then you can also subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you never miss an episode. And that's awesome because next week we have Danny Washington, marine biologist, superstar science communicator, impactful voice in the conversation around equity science. We talk about the Green New Deal. We talk about the youth climate movement. It's a really good episode coming out next week as well. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that. Also, I haven't discussed this or plugged it in a minute, but I also have a weekly newsletter. It comes out on Mondays and it is an easy, fun way to start your week. I have all of the climate headlines that you may have missed the week prior, sustainability news. I try to include videos, recipes, things that I think that you would enjoy if you enjoy the show. So more eco-conscious content to add to your Monday morning. So if you'd like to sign up for that, I will have the link for that in the show notes as well, along with all my social links. Tag me in your post. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you want to hear because I'm always trying to make this show better and I'm excited to hear your feedback, especially on this episode. Super quick disclaimer, not sure if this is necessary, but just putting it out there, we are speaking about the beauty industry as a whole. So there are a fair bit of generalizations. We are not seeking to single out any particular brand and there are certainly brands that really try to do their best in terms of environmental footprint, in terms of waste and supply chains, the ethical side of all of their products, the public health side of all of their products. So there are brands that are doing a great job. We're just talking about the industry as a whole. Where we'd like to see more regulation, where we'd like to see more action and better environmentally conscious standards and standards based around the science of skincare and what actually works. And with that, let's just get into it. Jessica DeFino on the science of skin and myths of the beauty industry. Enjoy. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you here. And I'd love to just get started and talking a little bit about you and your background and your career and how you landed in the space that you're in now. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. Um, My career has been kind of a winding path to start at the very beginning. I went to college for songwriting and music business. So writing has kind of always been a part of my plan. I just didn't really realize what kind of writing I would get into. Um, So after college, I moved to Los Angeles. I started assisting a wardrobe stylist in the music industry. So I was helping style like music videos for like Jason Mraz and Daughtry and Green Day and things like that, which was really fun. And kind of set me up to be um, in like the celebrity lifestyle content space. So once I felt like I was done with like the fashion and styling part of it and wanted to get back to writing, I started um, writing content with an agency that created celebrity content for international magazines because we had the access in LA. So I was doing shoots with like Rihanna for Harper's Bazaar China and Salma Hayek for El Mexico. It was such an awesome learning experience. And from there, I went on to be um, an assistant editor and a ghostwriter for the Kardashian apps. (laughs) So in 2015, I think all of the Kardashian and Jenner sisters launched their own content apps. And I was on Chloe and Kendall's app, which was an experience, a wonderful experience. I really loved it. But after a while, I was like, I don't want to like pretend to be somebody else on the internet anymore. I kind of want to like have my own voice. 
I want to stop you for like one second right there. I'm so interested in this <laughs> portion of your career because I have never thought about ghostwriters so deeply before I heard your story. How did you find this particular career? It very much came to me. I got a message on LinkedIn, I think, from someone um, who had seen my past experience and was like, I have a position. It's with a celebrity. Are you interested? We can get on a call. So I had a call with this person because I was very interested, but they didn't say who it was. And they asked about different celebrities on the call. Like, what's your opinion on so-and-so? What's your opinion on this person? And one of the people out of like 10 people they asked about, or one of the like groups of people was the Kardashians. And at the time I was, I was kind of into them. Like I watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians and I was like, I think that they're great business women, like female empowerment. Yay. So like, that was the right answer. <laughs> And um, on the next call, they revealed that it was for launching the Kardashian-Jenner apps. And I was so excited. Like, I don't know, it, it felt like a big step. It was like, these are the most famous women in the world and I'm, I get to create content for them. Like, that's so cool. Yeah, that so, feels like a huge step because it sounds like something that really did land in your lap. Mm-hmm. It really imagine- did. Yeah, I have to imagine for you, it must have been an interesting experience to have to live like them or get in their heads in a sense because you were creating this content on their behalf Mm -hmm. it was so much fun and I always say I worked with Chloe the most like Chloe is my favorite I think she's so funny she has the most personality she's so sweet she's like very nice I loved working with her Um, so to get into her head in particular was a fun working experience for me because you could write the craziest stuff like I remember I wrote this like fashion countdown um, depending on how familiar you are with the Kardashians, like Chloe famously gets a camel toe very often <laughs> and she's named it Camille the camel. So like, she let me write this like fashion countdown of like Camille the camel's top 10 fashion moments. And I was like, I'm getting paid to do this. This is amazing. <laughs> First of all, that's incredible. That's amazing. <laughs> that's so funny. And that sounds like you had so much creative freedom. Like what an interesting role to grow into yourself as a writer. Mm-hmm. How did you go from creating Kardashian content to skincare and beauty writing? Cause that to me seems like a leap too. Yeah. It's kind of interconnected. So once I started working with the Kardashians, it was the first time in my life that I had been exposed to PR mailings and getting free products. And suddenly all of these PR agencies wanted to send, you know, La Mer and Fresh and all of these like skincare and makeup products. And I was just, you know, drowning in expensive beauty shit and was so excited about it. So I think that like using all these new products coupled with like the stress of the job, because it was a very stressful job. It was fun, but it was like, I was on call 24 seven, the working environment wasn't the greatest and it triggered a case of dermatitis and dermatitis is kind of like, for anyone who doesn't know, it's kind of this catch-all phrase for like, your skin is irritated, but we don't really know why and we don't really know what to do about it. So the textbook treatment for it is topical steroids. And at the time, yeah, like you have this reaction, like, whoa, but at the time I was just like, okay, give me the steroids. If that's going to make this rash on my face go away, great. I'll take it. Give me your strongest tube. Give me multiples. And I was on topical steroids for two years. I found out later that you're supposed to only be on them for two weeks at a time. Otherwise it can cause some very serious issues, which 
all happened to me. <laughs> the most serious of which is called skin atrophy. So it's basically like the thinning of your skin. The barrier is like completely worn away. Your skin is not able to like really support itself anymore. And you can continue using steroids, but then the steroids trigger more dermatitis. It's like this really vicious cycle of cause and effect. So eventually I developed immunity to the steroids, basically like they wouldn't work. They didn't do anything. And I couldn't put anything else on my face because my skin was so compromised and peeling and oozing and flaking. And like even just splashing water on my face was painful. It just got to the point where I had no other options besides to try and heal myself like naturally from within because I couldn't put things on my face. So I just dove into this like rabbit hole of research that I've never really come out of and taught myself how to build up my skin with more holistic practices like, you know, diet, exercise, mindfulness, meditation, mantras, gratitude, things like that. And from there, once my skin got a little stronger, it could handle like very minimal products. So even, even now I still use like, I'll use one ingredient, jojoba oil, and that's my moisturizer. I cleanse with Manuka honey. There's no ingredient, but honey in there. And that's my cleanser. And if I use anything that's like pre-bottled, it still causes issues because my skin is still building itself back up. But I've kind of seen the sensitivity as a blessing because I can see when things are working and I can see when they're really not working, you know? Right. I was just going to say that it must be so easy for you to feel like you're really in tune with your body. And I was also going to touch on this kind of beauty from within internal external connection. I think that's very often downplayed for some reason. I think that a lot of people don't understand that value of taking care of yourself in terms of diet and exercise and mindfulness and how that affects your skin, especially because I think people often forget that the skin is an organ and it's your largest organ and you have to take care of it the way that you take care of your internal organs. So I would love to talk to you a little bit about hydration because you mentioned jojoba oil, you mentioned moisturizing yourself from within. And to me, hydration from within just sounds like drink a lot of water. And I feel like that's what all the beauty magazines Mm -hmm. tell you. It's like, oh, I just drank a lot of water and my skin cleared up. So let's talk a little bit about hydration in general and what that means for you in this very holistic skincare space. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, hydration definitely is drinking water. Um, There's a point to which your body is getting enough water. So if you're drinking eight glasses of water a day, which, you know, eight glasses is still disputed as like the ideal, but if you're drinking enough water for your body a day, drinking more water won't hydrate you more. So like the, the water thing is useful to a point, but yes, drinking water and like eating your water, water, rich foods, like apples and celery and cucumbers, like eating those, that's like the only way your cells get hydration. You know, your skin builds itself from within your skin builds itself from the innermost layer to the outermost layer. Yes. You have to drink water. You have to eat water rich foods. That's a huge and most important part of hydration. I think something that people miss too, is like your body needs certain minerals in order to be able to like absorb that hydration. I can't go into like all of the specifics right now. It's, I have a list on my computer of like, okay, these are the minerals I need to get, but like magnesium, zinc, things like that. If you are low in those minerals, your body is not going to absorb the hydration that it needs. So there's like multiple parts to that. And then in terms of skincare, holding on to hydration is very important because the water does just evaporate it's called tool trans epidermal water loss. 
So like the water that your skin cells are holding onto just evaporates and that's a normal process and that's fine and it is supposed to happen, but sometimes it just happens too quickly or too often or when it's not supposed to because the skin barrier is compromised. So part of the role of the skin barrier is to be able to hoard that moisture and hold on to it and produce our own um, NMFs. It's called natural moisturizing factors. So like your, your skin and your body really do all of the work of like glowy, moisturized, hydrated skin for you. And it just needs a few things from you in order to be able to do those jobs the best that it can. And now I want to talk to you about the myth of hyaluronic acid that I mentioned to you earlier was really the turning point for me Mm -hmm. in your work that made me completely rethink my skincare routine. So talk to me about hyaluronic acid and why we are kind of being duped as a society. (laughs) Well, like hyaluronic acid, anyone who's interested in skincare knows what hyaluronic acid is. It's kind of like touted as this miracle ingredient, which it is in its natural state in your body. So like hyaluronic acid exists within all of us. It's mostly concentrated in the lower layer of the skin. So the dermis, and it's part of the extracellular matrix along with like collagen and elastin, things like that. One of the substances that keeps your cells plump, hydrated, youthful, glowy, all of that, like hyaluronic acid is amazing. It holds on to moisture. We all know there's that stat holds on to a thousand times its weight in moisture which is, you know, up for debate. There's not a lot of modern studies that prove that point, but all of the information we have on hyaluronic acid is about how wonderful it is in your body. It's very different when you're taking it from a bottle and putting it on the surface of your skin. That's just a different layer of the skin. (laughs) It's not where it's like meant to be. It's not where it's designed to be. And then you take that moisture grabbing power of hyaluronic acid and you put it on the outside of your face and it pulls moisture from within. People always say like hyaluronic acid will grab moisture from the environment. There's really not that much moisture in the environment. Like there's really not. And so it's going to grab from the closest source, which is your skin cells. That has a temporary effect of making your face look very glowy and plump. And you're kind of tricked into thinking like, oh my God, look how hydrated and moisturized I am. Like I'm glowing. It's because the hyaluronic acid has pulled this moisture from deep within where it needs to be and brought it to the surface. You look glowy. You think hyaluronic acid is working. A couple days later, your skin is like maybe a little dull, maybe a little dry because it's lost a lot of moisture. So you say, let me put on more hyaluronic acid and the cycle starts again. So really it's like kind of creating this product dependency and depleting our skin's moisture, but giving the temporary effect of more moisture. And it's, it's just this like terrible product cycle. Right. It's a vicious cycle, Mm -hmm. really vicious cycle. I would love to harp a little bit on that term product dependency because the skincare industry at the end of the day is an industry. And we all think that we're doing such wonderful things, taking care of our skin and buying all these products and having these really beautiful bathroom shelves full of little vials of whatever it may be that year. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about product dependency and this cycle of the beauty industry really selling us solutions to products that they create. Because like with hyaluronic acid, they always say, You have to finish with a moisturizer because you don't want your skin to dry out, but it's supposed to moisturize you from within. So let's talk a little bit about product dependency. What's Mm -hmm. going on? 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Most of the beauty industry consists of products that solve problems caused by other products. You know, hyaluronic acid, like you said, is a perfect example. It dries your skin out, so you need more of it. And then the industry tells you, well, if you layer a moisturizer and a face oil on top, it won't do that. So now you have a lineup of three products, whereas you could have just used no products and had no problems. So we see this a lot with cleansers that strip the skin's natural oils, that alter the skin's pH, that alters how the skin functions, it alters the skin's microbiome and impairs its ability to protect itself, to cleanse itself, to moisturize itself, to exfoliate itself, to heal itself. Like the skin does all of this on its own. And then when we introduce products that are too harsh or not compatible with the pH of our skin, our acid mantle, or are not compatible with components of our microbiome, it just creates more problems that we need more products to solve. And I think we get so deep into this idea that if there's a problem, there's a product to solve it, that we don't think, what if I just remove something from my routine rather than add something to my routine? And what I've seen personally, what I've seen in my research and what I've seen like anecdotally from just talking to people throughout my career is less truly is more like a lot of these problems kind of solve themselves when you remove the initial triggering product. Right. And on the flip side, you mentioned that you hardly use any prepackaged products that you use jojoba oil and maruca honey and I would love to know a little bit about this like package-free, super minimal skincare routine that you as an industry insider participate in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, like came out of necessity, like I mentioned, like that was all my skin could really handle. And I really attribute that to my interest in sustainability because I didn't really care about sustainability beforehand. I didn't really know much about it. Um, I didn't really think that I was having a particularly large impact on the planet, but using these natural ingredients and seeing how well they supported my skin, seeing how well my skin could heal itself really gave me an appreciation for nature. Like I just started like marveling at the wonder of all of this amazing intelligence that's built into our skin cells and that's built into the earth and nature and plants and the soil and how everything is interconnected and, you know, these healing constituents of the earth that we can harness to help heal ourselves minimally and responsibly. And just, I don't know, really seeing the wonder of nature that way throughout how it helped me heal myself gave me this interest in sustainability. And so then I started to realize like, wow, this kind of single ingredient routine that I've made for myself where I'm not buying any products and I'm just using like literally one bottle of oil that lasts me three months and using that to support what my skin already knows how to do rather than trying to override my skin's inherent functions with all of these products. It's like, wow, this is actually very sustainable. It's probably the most sustainable thing we can do is learn how our skin and our bodies work, support that with practices rather than products, and then only add products in where our bodies need the support. Like for instance, I was on Accutane when I was a teenager. So was I. I was on Accutane for probably about eight or nine months when I was Mm -hmm. 16. It was awful. It was. And I don't, I mean, it cleared up my acne at the time, which came back with a vengeance later, (laughs) but 
for me, it has really impacted my natural sebum production because what Accutane does is it like quote unquote destroys your sebaceous glands so that you don't produce oil and theoretically you don't produce acne. So for me, my skin has been very dry ever since. Has it been the same for you? Yes and no. I've moved around to a lot of different climates, which has Mm -hmm. also really messed up my skin, like really humid climates and then really dry, arid, high elevation climates. But for me, I had a really hard time for the longest time finding even like a moisturizer that worked or just meeting the bare minimum requirements, quote unquote, of my skin after Accutane for years. Yeah, totally. So like now years later, I mean, it's been probably close to 15 years for me that I've been off Accutane, but I still have problems producing my own sebum. So I know, okay, I can't really rely on my skin's inherent functions to help me moisturize in that way. What product can I use to support the loss of that function? For me, that's jojoba oil. Jojoba oil is like a 97% chemical match to human sebum. So it does a really good job. I know, isn't that wild? I love that. Wow, Um, that's incredible. I love oils in general. I think that there's something about an oil that just always feels so luxurious. And I buy pretty pure oils. The only thing I really look for is making sure that there's nothing else mixed into it. I love rosehip oil. I feel like it's crazy hydrating. I know that for some people it irritates them, but I love rosehip oil. I love rosehip oil too. And like, that's the thing with natural products. That's the thing with any product, like everybody's individual, everybody's bodies have different sensitivities. What works for me might not work for you. There could be an oil like jojoba that works for 99% of people. And maybe you just have this, you know, kind of outlying sensitivity to it. So it's, it's very individualized, but yeah, I love oils too. And they feel so luxurious and they feel so good because that's what the skin barrier is made up of. Like your skin barrier is fatty acids and ceramides and cholesterol and squalene oil. Like these things are what make up your skin barrier that those are the things that are sealing in that moisture that you're, you know, hydrating yourself from within and the oil lipid barrier is what seals it in and helps make you look glowy. So really like putting oil on your face is one of the more natural biocompatible things you can do with skincare. Right. Oh, that's such an interesting way to think about it. And I also liked what you mentioned about oil being so inherently sustainable because you buy one little bottle that lasts you for three months. And when you said sustainable three months, et cetera, that immediately made me think of the flip side of something like a sheet mask of something that is like a one and done product. And I think that a lot of people want those one and done products because it's easy, it's disposable. You see that immediate glow or whatever else it may be for you. And I feel like the beauty industry really hides a lot of that waste. When we think waste and lifestyle, we think fashion a lot of the time, but beauty is just as bad. Yeah, no, you're so right. And it's always frustrating to me because I feel like there is a ton of sustainability coverage in the fashion industry and there's very little in the beauty industry. But when you think about it, these little bottles that we're buying, these sheet masks that we're buying are lasting for much less of time than like even a fast fashion purchase from Forever 21. Like you're buying them, you're tossing them. A lot of times you're not using them. Okay. It doesn't work for my skin. I'm not going to finish this. It gave me a reaction. I'm not going to finish this. And then for something like a sheet mask, just think of all of the component parts that go into it. So it's, you know, the outer foil packet. There's usually two sheets of plastic inside that have the plastic or polyester sheet mask, which is soaked in serum and cosmetic chemicals. And like all of those 
ingredients, even though they don't feel like as tangible, have an environmental impact. And then there's like all of the effort that goes into creating that polyester sheet mask, or even in natural instances, the cotton sheet mask or the cellulose sheet mask, like it takes a lot of water and resources to farm that cotton and to farm those plant-based materials that turn into a cellulose sheet mask. And it's like, yes, that happens with any product that you're creating, but the payoff of a sheet mask is like you wear it for 15 minutes and you toss it away. The ratio to how much effort goes into producing it to how much joy or use you get out of it, the ratio is way too disproportionate to justify in terms of sustainability. Right. You're completely correct in saying that we do not have enough sustainability coverage in the beauty industry, because I feel like I hear that conversation of organic cotton. Is it really that great? I hear it all the time in the fashion industry, but we really don't bring it around to the beauty conversation. And I think that there's also a lot of hidden messaging in the beauty industry of these myths that are perpetuated. So like we mentioned, hyaluronic acid, I'm thinking of like retinol. I feel like, you know, you hit your 21st birthday and you're given a bottle of retinol and everyone's Mm -hmm. getting really excited about this anti-aging movement and whatever else it may be. And I think that we're fed a lot of products that we're told that we need to meet some sort of societal standard. And I'm not the most perfect example of, you know, pure natural beauty. I love skincare. And I think that there are some incredible products out there that I really enjoy. But I think there's also a lot that I consciously have to step away from and say, I don't actually need to fulfill whatever this particular expectation is. Right. I like to look at the sustainability of beauty standards, which is like something that does not really get talked about in beauty sustainability conversations. But to me, if you take these products and their purposes back to the standard that they are helping you achieve and you look at the sustainability of that standard, it can really change the way you view your beauty routine. So like, for example, something like retinol, what's the standard that it's perpetuating? It's like permanent youth. You know, that is an unmeetable goal. You're never going to do it. There's only so much you can do to turn back the hands of time or slow the process of aging. Like aging is inevitable. And we have so many products that are marketed towards helping us like stop aging completely. Like that's, that's not a sustainable goal and it keeps you in the consumer cycle forever. Cause there's never going to be a point where you say, okay, I'm good now I've done it. I've stopped the aging so I can stop using this product. Like you are always going to be using that product. Same thing for things that are like blurring the look of your pores or shrinking the look of your pores. Pore size is genetically determined. Sometimes like environmental factors can like stretch out the pore, but for the most part is genetically determined. You can't change the size of your pores. And if you are using a product that is supposed to help you change the size of your pores, you're always going to be using it. There's never going to be a point where that product has worked. Now I'm done. Now I don't need to buy this anymore. So it's just like, if we keep chasing these like impossible physical goals, we're going to keep buying products. We're going to keep being constant consumers. And what's the point? It has nothing to do with your own health or well-being. The point is getting you to subscribe to this beauty standard that keeps you consuming. So for me, when I start thinking about my products in that way, it really blew my mind, opened my mind, helped me let go of a lot of these standards I was trying to hold myself to. That's incredible. That's a really, really concise way to look at beauty standards. 
I thought where you were taking that was the cosmetics industry and regulations in the cosmetics industry There's and that how, too. <laughs> how little cosmetics reform we've had mm-hmm. in the last, I think it's 80 years since there has been a major cosmetics reform passed in the federal government. And I think there's also a lot of misconception that all of these clean brands or green brands and that everyone's doing the right thing. And, and there are some brands that really do stand behind their values and do things with a lot of intent. But there's also a lot of brands that will slap a green label on something or slap a, uh, a little leaf and you think it's good to go. And these brands aren't always out to protect you, which is really unfortunate from the consumer side. You think that you're always doing the right thing by choosing a particular brand or a clean at Sephora or whatever else it may be. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I always say like clean means absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Natural means absolutely nothing. Like even organic means absolutely nothing if it doesn't have that USDA organic seal on it. Like these are all marketing terms that don't have legal definitions. So technically a brand can like slap the word green or clean or sustainable on any product at all. And it doesn't necessarily mean that product is that thing. And it gets tricky because I think we all have our own personal definitions of what those things are. Like my personal definition of something that's clean is very strict. And like even a lot of clean brands don't adhere to it. Is it their fault? No, not really. I just have very strict standards for myself as an individual and they have absolutely no regulations holding them in place. So it's unfortunate, but like, I think the, a lot of the burden falls on the consumer to create your own definitions, really research all of the ingredients in your products, and then decide what you think is clean or safe or natural or sustainable. And then another point to make is that not everything that's natural is sustainable. Like harvesting these ingredients puts a huge burden on the planet, especially if they're farmed ingredients. For me, I think regenerative agriculture is like the most promising area, but it's still really hard to find organic, regeneratively farmed ingredients out there. It's very hard to find that and make sure that your products are made in a way that is sustainable for the planet and safe for you. Right. Where would you like to see the beauty industry go in your career? Like what would be your perfect path to a properly regulated, truly sustainable beauty industry? I honestly think the path to sustainability and to safety is focusing more on the science of how our skin actually works rather than the science of ingredients. Because these are both sciences and they're both valid and the findings from each sector like stand on their own kind of, but I think we often evaluate products based on what the science tells us about how this ingredient worked in a study without asking, does my skin need this? Is there another way my skin can do this without a product that comes in a bottle? Um, Is there a way I can support this function of my skin in a more sustainable way, perhaps with diet or lifestyle or mindfulness rather than relying on a product to do it for me? And like in my research, which is focused entirely on the inherent functions of the skin, we don't need a lot. And a lot of the things that we buy products for, a lot of the goals that we want to achieve for our skin are completely achievable without products. I think if the industry placed the focus there, I mean, how amazing would that be for like the planet, for our wallets, for ourselves, for our psyches to not have to like be constantly buying and consuming 
I mean, will the industry go there? Probably not because that kind of defeats the point of an, a product-based industry, <laughs> but that would be my dream. I love that. Are there any brands or products even in general that you feel are really knocking it out of the park in your eyes because you do have such strict standards? Yeah, there are a few that I really love. Um, The one that I'm obsessed with at the moment is called For the Biome. And it's a brand that is formulated specifically to support the skin's microbiome. And the, the science of the microbiome is like very complicated, but simple all at once. Like basically if your microbiome is intact and supported, it does like a lot of the functioning for you. It's incredible. It protects you to an insane degree. It supports the moisturization of your skin barrier. It helps you self exfoliate. So you don't need to exfoliate with a product every day. Like the microbiome is the key to skin health. So this brand for the biome formulates with ingredients that support the microbiome. It uses something called postbiotics, which it does through fermenting prebiotic ingredients and and all of these beautiful natural ingredients that kind of give your microbiome the things it may be missing. So I, I love everything that they create. They have a small line, but it's everything is just incredible. And I also love um, One Love Organics. They've been a favorite of mine for years. Um, everything is EcoCert. The ingredients are all sustainable. The packaging is all as sustainable as possible, like beautiful glass bottles. I really think that they like pay attention to all of those details and it's very important to them to be sustainable. So when I see a brand like actually living out their values like that, I'm, I'm very happy to support it. I like that. I like that a lot. I actively look for brands who I feel like are living out their values. And I think that as someone who likes products, I mean, I wouldn't call myself like a heavy product junkie or anything, but I I like products. I like seeing how things work for my skin. And I'm still in that experimental phase of my skincare journey. And I think that when I see a brand that can really stand behind their choices is important to me. I'm thinking of Beauty Counter because Beauty Counter, I think does incredible work, not just on the policy side, but they do a lot of community education with their products. So I know that they have certain things that only come packaged in plastic and they're very upfront saying, well, we couldn't put this in glass because of this particular ingredient or because this can't be exposed to oxygen or light or whatever else it may be. And I think consumers are looking for answers, especially when you find a brand that you think may not be doing everything in their power to do the right thing. Sometimes there are reasons behind that. And I think being transparent as a brand is so important and Mm -hmm. and incredibly undervalued, I think. Yeah, I I love Beauty Counter for that reason as well. I love their legislation. I love their transparency. I also think that they're really pushing the idea of what sustainability is. Like they're bringing it into new territory. Um, Like one of their latest launches really focused on sustainably sourced vanilla And the sustainability of it was focused in the supply chain. Like, is the harvesting of this vanilla sustainable for the people and the cultures who are picking it and growing it and harvesting it? And I think that's something that often gets overlooked. Like, sustainability at its core is about people and the planet. And if your practices as a brand are not allowing for your workers to collect sustainable living wages and lead a sustainable lifestyle themselves, like, can you really say you're sustainable? So I think that's really interesting in the work that they're doing right now. 
I, oh, I, I really like that we brought it back to people and the ethical side of a supply chain, because now I'm thinking of like the great sustainability brand of Patagonia, like they're the golden child of good quote unquote companies. And when you think about a corporation that not only stands behind its products for a lifetime, but also has no problem being upfront about how their corporate offices are run or what their sustainability goals are, their climate action goals are, what their justice goals are when it comes to their racial equity in the offices. I think that looking at a brand from all of those angles and all of those internal angles is becoming more and more important to consumers, especially in 2020. Like there's never been a better time to question who it is that you're buying from and who you're supporting and who you're spending your money on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's this increased focus on, like you said, people over products. And even from brands that are producing the products that we are buying, like we want to know that they value us and they value our future and our well-being more than they value the thing that they're producing. And that that should be a no-brainer. That should just be like how human beings work, <laughs> but it's not. So when you do find a company that prioritizes your well-being and the planet's well-being over their own product, that feels really special. Thank you so much for listening to that episode with Jessica Defino. I hope you really enjoyed it, learned a little something about your skin and about your skincare products. And I will have in the show notes, like I mentioned, those two episodes that are regulating the cosmetics industry with Lindsay Dahl, SBP of Beauty Counter, and our conversation with Dr. Mona Band, Food for Skin and Holistic Wellness. So I hope you enjoyed those episodes. Don't forget to tag me when you post this episode on your Instagram story at Podcast, And all of my links are in the show notes. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.